Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Babu's freaking podcast. I am Mike Chiotti Ruby, joined as always on our Jedi Council by Grand Moff Mark Valentine, who has uh, just returned from the danger zone. Uh, he has called the ball and landed safely back on the carrier. How was Maverick Top Gun for you, my friend? Talk to me, Goose. Uh, it was a perfect 10 out of 10. I Hot take. Ready, Brian? I'm really sorry to do this. I enjoyed it more than I did Spider-Man. Ooh. That's Ooh, a hot, you know, spicy. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll match the spice on that. I said the same thing to Brian. Spice. I can't argue, I can't argue with it. I can't. I love can't. them both. I love them both so much. They had uh, me at Danger Zone, Mike. The minute that they fired up Danger Zone on that aircraft carrier in the opening montage i like put it money in the bank Dude, i was already in they had me at the opening it's not even an opening crawl it doesn't even crawl, crawl like in star wars it's just the opening text it's that was on screen with harold faltermeyer's bong ideal and i think we're gonna have to hold out for another great dogfighting movie until rogue squadron eventually makes its way to our star wars screens you mean if um if. The last forty, the last forty something minutes of that movie reminded me of why I fell in love with cinema as a child. It was some of the uh, the, the most fun I, I think I've had at a movie in in a long time. Just wanted so, this pump at the at the screen. Well, so, if if you if you want to hear some of us on the Jedi Council talking about Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Brian, you want to plug our guest spot when the two of us got to sit down and uh, spend a good solid hour on the topic? Yeah, we talked with uh, Alex Klein over at Comics and Cinema. You can find that here on the Nerd Life Network. Uh, it was on May, what would that have been, May 30th, uh, May 31st. Yes, we were talking Top Gun Maverick with Alex Klein on Comics and Cinema. Also, anywhere you find your podcast, just search Comics Ampersand Cinema. And uh, that that fine young gentleman who was just uh, plugging another podcast was the other member of our Jedi Council, Brian Joe Yowzali. Brian, can you contain yourself? You've got the hometown team and your home team in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I don't give a crap about the hometown team, uh, but <laughs> I uh, so yeah, much I for the Lightning. I don't <sighs> love I don't love Lightning. I don't love Lightning fans at all, but. I, I was telling you before we went on, Mike, like I just need to prevent myself from making a financially crippling decision to find my way to a Stanley Cup final game in Tampa. Meanwhile, Mark and I'll cry in our beers over the Rangers. Yeah, I, I'm all cried out over all of my New York franchises, man. We are <laughs> the, the Rangers were like the last hope for us. It, we're it, it's it's a barren landscape, man. Since you've moved west. It's been a barren sports landscape for us New Yorkers over here. It's just, it's bad. We're in the doldrums. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to bask in the, the warm, glowing, warm glow of the Golden State Warriors. It's, the Yankees uh, are really freaking good, though. Like, the Yankees are really be. They should be good, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're like, what, 43 and 16. Like, they're really good. With their payroll. Okay, but, but. Lest we get off the topic and get and like get into a whole other thing, which we got to do on the agency. As, as, as all of our Star Wars listeners go, yeah. what am I listening to again? As we got to get the, the New York Yankees traditionally do very well in the regular season, as they should. They have the highest payroll. They choke in the postseason. They don't have the role players that pull them through the tough moments and the clutches. Where's the Scott Brocious's? Where's the Derek Jeters of the world anymore? We get these guys that are paid millions upon millions of dollars to go over three in the postseason and they go down with the their bats on their shoulders every single postseason it drives me crazy you Scotty have more championships than i have playoff games played so shush <laughs> Scotty brocious is a good deep cut i i was i was gonna say we need to we need some chuck knoblock action we need a guy who sounds like a star wars character knoblock Tune in to Agents Captain, Captain Field. Tune Agents and Field here on the Nerd Life Network if you want more sports talk. There even was a Star Wars episode where Mark and I guest hosted to draft Star Wars characters to play sports, and we're going to do the same thing this Wednesday here live on the Nerd Life Network with MCU characters. Hell, I'll take Wade Boggs on a space horse at this point. I'll do anything. <laughs> on that note, quick reminder that if you like what you're hearing, 
um, sports and uh, Star Wars and all, hit that like button, subscribe, share with your friends, help us build out the audience for this podcast. Um, gents, before we dive into episode four of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, last week we spent uh, almost half of our episode talking about um, everything that came out of Celebration, all of the upcoming Star Wars shows. We missed the single biggest, most important piece of news that came out of all of this. Our namesake is coming back to the Star Wars universe. Babu Frick is set to make an appearance in The Mandalorian next season. How did we how did we freaking miss that? Hey, hey, man. It was just hard to hard to remember. Hey. Couldn't couldn't have said it better. <laughs> we've got him on we've got him on retainer. Babu can be pulled pulled up at any given point. Dude. Well, other sound bites, but Babu's right there on the soundboard. So does does Babu get shorter 30 years earlier? Does does the mustache get longer? Does the mustache go away? What do we think Babu Frick looks like thirty years earlier in the timeline? Uh, I mean, I think you've seen it, haven't you? I think he looks exactly the same. Touche. Maybe he I has a goatee thirty years earlier, like I like I did several weeks ago. The question <laughs> is, do they go to uh, Kajimi, or is Babu Frick traveling the? The galaxy. That's what I'm most interested in because Kajimi seems like a lot of fun and it's kind of in the outer rim where there's not a lot of law, even though in Rise of Skywalker there is a lot of stormtroopers. Maybe he's a uh, runner of spice at that point. Babu Frick, spice runner, runner of spice. Well, there's also the fact that that's not Babu Frick's homeworld. So there's an entire, there's there's a whole planet out there with little, uh, little fricks, little, 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 little freaking people. And you gotta wonder, like, do, do they do they all talk like that? Like, is it just going to be like a, a cacophony of hey hey's? <laughs> droid go blank blank. I want to so, go to that. I want to go to that freaking planet. Yeah, I want to go to there. So, guys, let's talk about episode four. We didn't get to talk much about the Fortress Inquisitorius, which is speaking of freaking things that is freaking impossible to say. The Fortress Inquisitorius. Um, on Nur in the Mustafar system. If you're not a Star Wars fan, you would wonder what the heck I just said. Dude, could and you probably... say that again? Could you say that again? That that entire we're going to the Fortress Inquisitorius on Nur in the Mustafar system. <laughs> that is amazing. That I need and that on a T-shirt. That is. It's you need to be like one of those and T-shirts. It's like Fortress and Inquisitorius <laughs> and Nur and Mustafar and vader um so we we got to see the home base of the inquisitors and we got to go really in depth into it this past week as obi-wan kenobi led a uh a secret attack a rescue mission to get leia back and there were a whole bunch of really interesting things that happened including a couple of really big mudhorn eggs we should probably start with brian fire up the jawas so guys first thing that's pretty i found it to be pretty kind of grotesque and shocking was that there is an entire jedi tomb held within the fortress inquisitorius where we saw an entire row of jedis suspended in i mean it almost looks like the 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 mosquito entrapped in amber in jurassic park and that was really morbid, and it was all sorts of alien races of Jedi's. There was a youngling. Um, what did you guys think of the Jedi tomb? Not just any youngling. It's the youngling next to Reva at the beginning of the show. So I would assume we're going to get some sort of flashback to how Reva is discovered during Order 66, and does she have to take him out, or who takes him out? Um, I, that's not a coincidence by any stretch. So um, the tomb was freaky. Like, like you said, it was very much, I think we all had the same thought at the same time of, it looks like the mosquito at the top of John Hammond's cane from Jurassic <laughs> Park. Um, what are they doing there with that? Um, but I, and I'm going to say this a lot 
I don't think we saw anything groundbreaking in this entire episode. I think everything in this episode we've seen in Star Wars before. This time we saw it in the fourth episode of season two of Mandalorian, where we're getting hints as to where Snoke is coming from. I mean, this is a little bit different, but for the most part, everything in this episode we've seen before. And that's kind of my complaint about the episode in general. But this was haunting, like you said. Yeah, I mean, what was your take? Listen, the only thing I thought in that moment was like occasionally Jedi's break free. Jedi's expand to new territories painfully, perhaps even dangerously, but Jedi's find a way. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that was probably most most shocking for uh right can't he can't even hold it together. Mike, Mike was like deadpan. He was like, Yeah, okay, Ian Malcolm, we're just gonna, we're gonna <laughs> Yeah, well when uh when when the Jedi's come back to life, they 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 don't eat the passengers. So <laughs> in all in all seriousness, when I'm not quoting the, the great Ian Malcolm, I I had no clue what was going on. My my mind really did. I all joking aside, my mind went right to John Hammond and like Jurassic Park. It didn't look like they were dead, but in stasis, and so. I mean, knowing knowing what we know about the cloning and the, and the dark science and everything that's going on in the lead up to the empire, and then what you know what continues past the death of the empire, it looks like this is a metachlorian gathering site, or or that these are test subjects that you're looking at for some kind of experimentation and force experimentation that's going to be going on. Uh, in in the empire so uh it's crazy to see the way that they're expanding on on this narrative like we've seen it in the mandalorian right we've seen those tanks with everyone saying snoke-esque clones we don't we don't know we really don't know at this point you get snoke's theme but it's so interesting to see that like this isn't doubling down it's not tripling down Mike, much to your chagrin, like they're going all out with whatever that narrative is that they went with in the rise of Skywalker. Like they're running with it, brother. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, we talked about that a lot when we were talking about the bad batch and you know, how they, they bring the, the, the Kamino and cloners through. I, I took it less as that was part of the cloning program and that those are more trophies. I, I, I especially that's, that's what I especially thought. given that and this this was something that I didn't recognize the first time around, but I, I read about it later and went back to look. If you look carefully around the border of the uh, the Inquisitor conference room, yep. there are slain Jedi's lightsabers used as ornamentation around the around the, the, the whole room. Um, it, it feels like that's that's a trophy case. Um and the, the big mudhorn egg of, of all of them, uh, although that was a really good one that you, you called out there, Brian, that that's one of the one of the younglings from the, the, the beginning of the series. Um, Tara Sanube is there encased in the amber. Um, he was featured prominently in the Clone Wars series. Um, he is like Yoda. Uh, he is an ancient Jedi who served all the way back into the High Republic. He plays prominently in an episode where he helps to recover ahsoka's stolen lightsaber mm -hmm. um that was that was a bit of a gut shot for for anybody who was a clone wars fan i mean brian how did you feel seeing well both of you guys are big clone wars fans how, you know how did you feel seeing uh master sanube i mean in my opinion i preferred that versus the whole name drop of quinlan boss and then the entire star wars fan base of being upset that quinlan boss didn't show up which is the weirdest thing to me that people are all upset about this jedi they completely forgot about so i mean i, I see it more of an easter egg than anything like you said um mm. but i mean it's kind of a bummer that ahsoka has an ally out there that's no longer out there to help her i i also i was a little freaked out by the uh the box hat guy. He, he looks like those, those, those weird overly stylish gaunt, you know, gaunt looking folks who, who work for the emperor that, that, that we see in, in return of the Jedi. Um, interesting fashion choice. It's very spooky encased in Amber. Um, there was also, this was pretty interesting. There was that big Hulk looking 
Jedi who was wearing uh, clone trooper armor, the the stories behind each of these are are kind of fascinating and kind of creepy. You know, again, very maudlin, but you wonder like what what was the moment where any of these were any of these Jedi's were taken? Yeah, I don't know, and I don't I don't think we're probably going to get answers to that. It, it looks like they're just scenery for the most part. Yeah, but. An interesting, an interesting piece of the tapestry, nonetheless. Um, you know, the the other really big mudhorn egg, you know, within the uh, the fortress was Obi Wan taking on two stormtroopers in the dark uh, in order to rescue Leia. Um, this is an action scene that is taken directly from one of the Star Wars video games. Um, where uh, Starkiller, you know, does the exact same thing, taking on a couple more guys in, you know, probably a bit flashier fashion. But the Force Unleashed had that moment. Uh, and there are a couple of other, for they're, they're, you know, between the Force Unleashed and um, what's the other, what's the Fallen, other recent game? And fall, yeah, and, and Fallen Order, like most of what we've gotten from the fortress has been in video game form. And it's kind of like they canonized it here. I, you, you guys have played the games. How did you feel seeing that? Did it give well, you a tingle? Brian and I had this exact discussion, I don't know, two days ago over the phone. So Brian, like you, you've played the games probably more, more than I have. I played fallen order one time. I had one playthrough, but this is, this episode is pretty much the entire story arc from that game. And that's what they did. Essentially, they canonized Fallen Order here in the fourth episode. Well, I mean, but my problem with that is, one, Fallen Order already is canonized. That's something that is part of Star Wars canon. So the story, quote unquote, counts. Yep. Um, I I mean, didn't take the full storyline. But yeah, I took like the last everything about the Jedi uh, or excuse me, everything about infiltrating the Fortress Inquisitorius on Nur in the Mustafar system. Um, yes was straight out of fallen order all of it and i don't expect all star wars fans to have consumed this property that's part of it too i totally understand that but you've given me this story and now obi-wan is doing everything all the way down to coming up into the bottom after somebody uh, opens it up from the inside one of the jedi that's encased in amber looked like seer which is the the main um, Jedi lady from Fallen Order, but Fallen Order takes place after this, so it can't be her. Um, so it must have just been a nod and, every, and everything. But all the way down to the glass breaking and the water coming in and flooding the hallway, all of it happened in Fallen Order. All of it. And that kind of frustrates me a little bit. So you don't think, as George Lucas would say, you don't think it's something that rhymes in the Star Wars in the Star Wars universe? Or you, does it rhyme or is it lazy? I, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go as far to say lazy, but it's just it's bringing something that was such good storytelling within video game fashion and trying to give it a new spin with a character that you're going to one see and two be familiar with. Um, but I'm really interested in the character of Cal Kestis, and I, I, I've talked about it many times on this show that I hope to see a live action version at some point. But I, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say lazy, but I don't think it rhymes either because it's it's identical. I think despite the fact, and again, you're right that these games, many of these games and some of these intellectual properties are canon. Um, We talked about the Darth Vader, Charles soul books. And like, we actually got pretty heated on another podcast with someone who was telling us that, you know, of something that wasn't canon. And when we were citing those, we were saying, but it is true. Like this is canon. And it got a little bit, it got a little bit heated in, in that exchange I really think what they're doing is Brian just said, a lot of people don't consume that video game. So what they're doing is bringing the story into live universe. And for those people that do consume all of it, it, it's not a slap in the face, but it can seem lazy. It's like this all has been done before, but these films and these shows are for the general public. And let's face it, we've talked about this facet is there's a lot of people that are diehard Star Wars fans that have not consumed Rebels, they have not consumed Clone Wars, and they won't just because to them, they very much consider Star Wars canon to be and to only exist in the live-action universe. So I think the writers know that to some extent of the mainstream fans. 
this is where they come for Canon. They're not going to think outside the box in that regard. So this is a story that we absolutely love. So let's bring it into the live action so that the mainstream fan can connect with it. And it's a great storyline. Philosophically, like you could, you could get mad or say like, this is really lazy. Or I, I'm trying to be understanding and realize that not everyone's love of Star Wars runs as deep as say like the three of us. And so I can appreciate why they're doing it and what, you know, what their angle is as to why they're why they're using these story arcs or let's just say dare we say recycling them again but if it was just yeah. fallen order then i'd i'd be willing to forgive it but we're going to talk more about how it's not just fallen order yeah i i haven't played those i haven't played those games i mean i've, I've watched scenes from them and you know I, I know about them but having not played them before i i enjoyed obi-wan holding back the glass I enjoyed the scene in the dark. Um, I think there are some other things that they could have done a little bit more interestingly. I, you know, if, if we're we're being constructively critical, like I don't know, something just felt off about the action in this episode. Like it was really good, but it didn't have the same tension that like, and it's again, it's the same director. Deborah Chow does a brilliant job in how she builds the tension in the rescue episode in episode three of Mandalorian when Mando goes back and rescues Grogu from the client. That is that is a high tension and actually really violent episode. You know, that he burns a stormtrooper, he, he unleashes the whistling birds. You know, it's it's pretty gnarly. And I didn't feel like, and I don't need Obi-Wan to be vicious. We've got Vader to do that. But I, I felt like it could have been a little bit, I don't know, it could have been a little, it could, it could have been a little bit more tense in terms of how he was going to get through there. It, did, it didn't even feel like, for me, like, I know this is crazy, I felt more on edge with Obi and Leia sitting in the back of Frank the Mole Man's, you know, truck than I did with him wandering the hallways of the fortress. And if we're going to talk, I think this is where we're, we were talking before we came on air. It's not as good as the Mandalorian. I, I think all three of us can agree with that statement. I think I'm going to be the far more negative one when it comes to part four specifically. I really like part one and two. We talked last week. I liked a lot of part three. Part four, I'm really struggling with. But I, I think this is where you can see, even from just the way everything is acted, I think you can really see the difference between green and blue screen versus filming in the volume. I think there's a massive difference between how the characters are interacting with their surroundings than we're getting. Because when they're on that, that platform in the Fortress Inquisitorius on Nur in the Mustafar system, you one the the snow speeders the the what are they T forty sevens yeah not so cool to have them back it's so cool to have them back but that part where where Wade who they want me to care about that I just don't care about is firing lasers at Riva and from the vantage point it looks like he's like six feet away from her like it was not believable for me. And I think in the volume, I think Reva's a lot more ingrained into what that scene looks like rather than just acting by herself in the middle of a blue wall. And I think that some of that is 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 jumping off the screen to me personally. Mark, it looks like you disagree. That's heartless, Brian. I mean, Wade is somebody's goose. I mean, you know, that that that's that's heartless of you, man. I, I just, well, and I, I think I, I think I messaged you guys when I first saw Wade pop up on screen. <laughs> I thought Wade was the death stick dealer from episode two. <laughs> Who went? I, 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 <laughs> I looked. I looked him up. I was praying that that was him because how, what a great mudhorn egg and what a great payoff that would have been if Obi Wan had mind tricked him into rethinking his life. And rethinking his life turned out that he actually was saving younglings and force sensitive people by carrying them through the path. From like the that would have been such the payoff. Inquisitorious on the planet Nur on Mustafar in the Mustafar, in the Mustafar system. system. Yeah. That, that would have been that would have been the long play for Obi-Wan. But do you oh, guys do you guys at least agree with me when it comes to the volume versus the blue screen? Like, or am well, I? They, I didn't know they weren't shooting on the volume. I thought they were shooting on the volume. For this. I thought they were too until I saw a bunch of behind the scenes stuff this week, and I don't think they touched the volume at all. And this, it's that one scene, not removing how silly it was that 
we're just going to cover Leia in the side of a jacket and have four legs and nobody's going to notice. But Oh, they, they did Muppet Man. Yeah, it was total Muppet Man. But I just, I, I saw some behind the scenes stuff and it's just, it's not the volume. And that's where I noticed it the most. Maybe some of it was, but to my understanding and the research that I did, I don't think they used it. Uh, we got to look into that, gentlemen, because I I was under the impression that anything that was being produced for Star Wars these days was was on the volume. That's what I thought too. Maybe Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania was hogging it. Well, it did. So it did stand out. Now that you bring that out and and you bring up that point, it it did stand out. Um, to to a bigger point, I think of the three of us. I'm probably the highest on on the fourth episode, and I talked to Brian from this standpoint. I think with the fourth installment of these six episode series, I've set my bar so low for the fourth episode because pacing on every show, whether it's a Marvel or Star Wars show, I always feel like that fourth episode is a huge letdown. I feel like they never know what to do before they start to wrap things with the penultimate and then the finale. The fourth episodes have always been a throwaway for me. So I liked the fact that there, there were some stakes with this one. I was more interested. I, again, we know we know what's going to happen with Leia. We know what's going to happen with Obi-Wan. So there's no stakes there. It's just really heartwarming stuff to see the two of them bond. When he holds her hand at the end, I did kind of I did shed a tear a little bit and realizing again how important he is to her life. But like Tala to me is the more important story here and I'm really getting into these ancillary characters like I was all in for like what's going to happen to Tala, what's going to happen to the path I am I'm loving Moses Ingram. I'm loving her character. I'm getting more intrigued by what what game is she playing? Because I mean, they want us to believe that she's this big bad, but I can't help but feel that there's some turn that is there for her. That I can't believe that she's going to continue with this path as an inquisitor. I think that she's the one that we're going to be focused on. And the rumor is, there was a huge rumor that was dropped this week. Brian and I kind of kicked the tires on it. There's been early reports that because of the success of the series, they've actually redone some of the finale for a future project with Obi-Wan. Not that it's an Obi-Wan Kenobi season two. This was supposed to be a limited series. But that Lucasfilm has started to kick the tires on something based in this series or in an Obi-Wan series that this may not be the last time that we see one and or many of these characters in a future story. And all signs are pointing towards Moses coming back in another project as this character. So to that end, like I liked this episode and I'm very interested, not as much in what Obi-Wan is doing and Leia is doing at this point in the series, but what's going to happen to these other characters that I'm starting to invest time and energy into. Well, I, I liked it. I, I think that there, I think I think there are things that could have been better about it, but there's a whole heck of a lot of that I liked. And I, I think let's pick up on one of them that you talked about, which is I like that they're starting to define the path a little bit. It's I don't know that the path and the rebellion are even necessarily the same thing, which is exciting to me. Like I like the idea that there's an entire there's an entire narrative thread that goes on amid the the era of the empire where there's an entire networked organization that may or not may or may not be connected with Mon Mothma and the rebellion that sole purpose is to protect and shuttle force sensitive people throughout the galaxy to protect them. Um, and so we've got Tala and we got O'Shea Jackson finally made his debut um, as uh, Roken, who is the, the, the grumpy, uh, the grumpy engineer who works on the path. Um, very interesting that, you know, I, I, I find this very interesting. I'd love to get your take on this, guys. So we have a classic hologram planning session when they plan the attack on the fortress. They're all rallying because they want to rescue Leia. And this is an organization that is focused on protecting Force-sensitive people. And yet, it feels like Roken doesn't want anything to do with Obi-Wan. And they are very bitter with Obi-Wan when they lose Wade in service of the cause and it kind of strikes me a bit weird it's like on the one hand this is a really interesting crew because they are they're selflessly trying to protect the jedi but then by the same token you have maybe one of the greatest jedi ever and here he's trying to do something and they're they're kind of throwing shade at him 
that he's somehow hurting their cause. What, what is so? What, what do you guys think about the organization of the path and how they are either with Obi or kind of at odds with Obi and just kind of helping him out of out of you know almost like feeling like they're obligated to? Well, outside of potentially why Riva may hate him so much because she felt abandoned by the Jedi and the message that he left, we've seen Obi Wan at least turn down one Jedi that was reaching out to him to be the old Obi-Wan again. And he said, it's over. I'm done. We don't know how many other Jedi have reached. This could have been the path reaching out to Obi-Wan for 10 years. And now all of a sudden he cares because there's a kid involved when he left him high and dry for 10 whole years. I would assume there'd be some, some resentment there for sure. Um, I, I would, I would expand that Brian. I think you're, I think you're dead on with that assessment. I don't think it's just Obi-Wan. I, I think that there's so many people in the galaxy that are upset with the Jedi when they were needed the most. They uh, they abandoned and they kind of fled and they're hiding and they're um, they're self-preserving at this point. Like when people are crying out in the universe for a hero to rise up, where are they? They're scattered they're disorganized. They're hiding in the shadows. They're trying to do anything to preserve their own lives. I would say that there's just a lot of frustration on a part of specifically those who want to fight and the rebels that like here, here are supposed to be the defenders of the Republic. And where are they? They're nowhere to be found. And the fact that they are made aware of like Obi-Wan is alive. The great Obi-Wan Kenobi, once the defender of the Republic, one of its most prominent generals has been in hiding and here he stands in front of me in the flesh. Like I can understand to that end why they're so frustrated with these supposed peacekeepers for having bailed at the moment when they were needed the most to, uh, to face the Sith and to face this oppressive empire. And I, I get it. Like it makes a lot of sense. So you think it's more general Jedi and not him specifically? Because we know Quinlan is at least involved. We know some Jedi are involved. I, I felt it to be more targeted specifically to Obi-Wan than, than to think, the Jedi in general. I think because he's standing there at that moment and because of his reputation, I think they're taking out that frustration on him in the moment. Fair enough. I don't, I don't think it's anything specific with his personality other than the fact of as powerful as you once were, as prominent and as visible as you once were, where have, it's almost like a where have you been? We needed you. Like, why are you here now? We needed you 10 years ago, Obi-Wan, and now you're here? Now you need my help? We've needed your help for how long? That's how I read that kind of stuff, and it would make a whole heck of a lot of sense in terms of the narrative of what's been going on in the last decade. I did think it was a little silly that O'Shea Jackson Jr. just kind of talked it out to himself like i'm not gonna help you well you don't know what the empire can do yeah you're uh, well i do know what the empire can do so i will help you it was like uh that that didn't really work for me yeah well i mean you bring up a you guys bring up an interesting point and reva uses it in the first episode when she's when she's hunting the the she's hunting obi-wan and hunting jedi on tatooine she's like the jedi abandon you where where are they they're they're not here to protect you um, which is not really the truth. You know, it's, it's it maybe may for Obi-Wan and that he's been in hiding, but for everybody, they don't, they don't have the perspective to know that, you know, they, they don't, they don't know that there's, that the emperor is a Sith. They just know he's the emperor. They, they don't, they don't know what he is. Or that he's a, or that Vader is Anakin. Like nobody knows this information. No, nobody, nobody, nobody knows what that is. You know, they, they know that they've been promised you know, after they've all been told that the Jedi, you know, rose up against democracy and the and the emperor, you know, it's like a false flag against the Jedi. So, yeah, it's incredibly convoluted and interesting in a way that I don't think we ever realized before where it used to just be Vader hunted them down. Right. Yeah. Like it was Order 66. Vader hunted them down. Nobody remembers who they are. The idea that there's this weird gray area where, you know, people are either distrusting of the Jedi or don't even like them, you know, in this whole process. Like, that's just something you know, you don't even think of, especially because by the time you get to Rey, 
and everybody goes, wait a minute, the Jedi are real. They're like, we need the Jedi back. We need Luke back. You know, they, they had, you know, it's like they had, they didn't have ice cream for 50 years. And then suddenly they had ice cream for 20 years and then they can't live without ice cream again. To, to that end, when you, when you pick up in a new hope, you even see character in characters like Han, you know, um, hokey religions and, you know, they're, 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 almost slamming the forces. Yeah. There's no energy field that controls my destiny. There's no energy field that controls my destiny. But when you think about where, where all of this is playing out, the inquisitors invader, it's not playing out on a grander scale. It's not playing out in the overall and overarching war of the rebellion. Like there's, there's a lot of layers to this conflict. And this is just one sub layer of all of that's, that's going on. Like the inquisitors invader and this hunt it's not really happening on the surface and it's really not a part of the, the grander scheme of what's going on. You know, like let, lest we forget, like Tarkin is running this, um, you know, Thrawn is, is running this, that the emperor is working on a, a whole different plane politically and, you know, in dissolving the Senate, all of this is kind of happening without the general public or even any of those other well, political machinations. So, you know, like this is, um, it, it, it's adding, not even dissolved yet. Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is adding, I think, a lot of layers to this period, and it's really interesting because for a while we didn't have this story, and we had to speculate as to what ha what happened in this period between the Clone Wars and the start of A New Hope. Now we're starting to get those answers, and we're starting to see all those subtleties, and it's adding a lot of um, it's adding a lot of really creative flashes to not just the political landscape, but you know, just the, the general mood and the, and the tempo of what, what is it like, you know, throughout the galaxy in this turbulent period before the rise of, uh, of the empire. So Obi-Wan, you know, the, the, the real arc of this episode is, uh, how Obi-Wan got his groove back. So Obi-Wan starts to find his mojo in this episode um, it starts out at the beginning. He's he's trying to move something with the force, not very successfully. And by the end, he's wielding his lightsaber with real form again. He is using the force to distract stormtroopers. As we've mentioned a little while ago, he's actually stopping the force uh, of a uh, a leak in the fortress um, by using the force, and then uses the force to redirect the water to drown. Uh, a, a battalion of stormtroopers. What did you guys think about getting the return to form of Obi Wan, um, including getting you know this was for the 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 episode two episode uh, episode one and two geeks and all of us um, using his little underwater breathing apparatus, swimming to get in and then coming up you know looking like a damp rag. Uh, but he's he's not. He's not the the Jedi he once was, but he's he's getting dangerous again, boys. He uses his blaster too much. It's so uncivilized. <laughs> like out on that particular platform when they're escaping and everybody knows it's him, he should be using his lightsaber and he didn't and it bothered me. But yes, he's getting his groove back and I think we're going to get a full-blown like episode 3 Revenge of the Sith level lightsaber fight before this is over. And and I I I need it, but like I said, he should be running with his lightsaber out. He shouldn't be using those uncivilized weapons. I like the callback to him uh, using the force to create a sound and a distraction. Very, uh, very episode four. Uh, that was a smaller Easter egg, but I really enjoyed that. Here's my only problem: is at this point, and this is where I just hate these six episode arcs and and series. For him to get back to that level by the finale, to have that duel that I think we're all expecting and hoping, it's just very rushed, and I don't see how any of that happens without some full-blown Rocky Four montage of him training in the forest with like Qui Gon Jinn. Oh. I don't know. Well, you already I, called it. You called it last episode. You said you know he's going to go back to the corner. He's going to get a pep talk from Mick, which is of course going to be Qui Gon, and you know. We we're we're gonna hear we're gonna hear the uh, the training montage music. We'll get we'll get the, the loud Liberty Bell gong. Just like Mark's in Rocky, it's on fire. Has to 
It, it, there's got to be hearts he's, on fire at some point because he's going to run the steps of the Yavin Temple just like he's running the you know the the Philadelphia Museum steps. He's going to get the top, throw his arms up in the air. Vader! Vader! But Mark brought something up earlier that I want to get your guys' takes on, and I hope Lucasfilm isn't so fickle and so flying by the seat of their pants that, oh, this is a successful show that we knew was going to be a massively successful show since it was before it was announced, that we knew everybody wanted this character again, that now they're deciding, oh, we're going to continue this. We're going to put this deleted scene in in the episode or into the final, into the finale so we can spin off, like... I don't want Lucasfilm to be flying by the seat of their pants so much that, oh, this is really good. Let's make more of it rather than have this planned out and ready to go. Okay, so here's my theory, though, and I, I want to throw this out there. Some of it may not be that. Some of it may may also be Ewan McGregor seeing the reaction, seeing Hayden Christensen being so interested. Some of this may hinge on him and his willingness to continue to not only act in but potentially produce. Lest we forget, guys, he has he has a, a producer credit on the show as well. We don't know what happens backstage. He might have gone to Kathleen Kennedy and said, hey, listen, I know I said I was only going to do six, but I'm really digging this. Do you know if there is an opportunity for me to come back and do more of this? That might be very much at play here too, Brian. It might be Ewan McGregor coming back to Lucasfilm and Kennedy and saying, this has been so much fun. I don't know if I'm done with six. That's what that's what I think. Maybe I don't, I don't know if it's them flying by the seat of their pants in as much as it might just be the talent that's attached to this project saying, I'm not done. I've done six and I want more. It's like Brett Favre syndrome. I want more. Yeah. Bad I don't know how much more I want though, guys. I mean, like I, I mean, I want it. Don't get me wrong. I always want it, right? But by the same token, I I want it to stay special. I, do I want too. it to somehow stay special and I want them to be thoughtful about it to the you know, to, to the point you guys are making about like, let's not, let's not tack things on and get greedy because we see dollar signs. Like they took their time. It's to go back full circle to the top of the episode. The reason the Top Gun Maverick was so good is they took their time to tell the right story and be authentic. The reason that Mandalorian has been so good is that they've taken their time and they've really put themselves into making something strong. I feel like they did that with this. You know, I, I are there things that maybe are are not hitting as hard for us? Maybe, but I think I think they did the right thing in how they put the Obi Wan series together, and I think they've done it with great care, and they've been very thoughtful. And Ewan wouldn't have come back if it wasn't the right thing. I I want them to be at least that thoughtful with anything they might do coming out of this. See, but I think they've already shattered the glass ceiling. That we now that we know that. Not only is there a meeting between he and Anakin or he and Vader in between a new hope, why not just run with it at this point? Because Vader knows he's alive. Vader knows that he's there. They're like we we've kind of thrown that away. There's a there's a lot of story for me to believe that there's, you know, another 15 or 16 years where he just goes and lives on like some dilapidated moisture farm, especially now after re-engaging and being reinvigorated by this quest for Leia, him rediscovering his force powers and his force sensitivity. Now it becomes almost more implausible for him to just go back to that semi-monastic life and doing nothing for another decade and a half until Luke has come of age. I think there's a real space for storytelling, maybe not in the same arc of, of him taking on some role in the battle between the empire and the rebellion, but there there's a lot of other story that can be told. Unless we forget, we also know that there, there is a point there that he will uh, duel against Darth Maul. And he's going to get to a point where he ends Maul in a single stroke. So there's a lot of story in my opinion that can still be told. And if you haven't engaged you and McGregor and you haven't interested Lucasfilm, I'm I'm in like I'll watch it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I I just I it begins to strain the the credulity of of so much of what's in the original films the more you push on it. Like we've already talked about in other episodes about, you know, how they're going to reconcile some of the actions that, you know, some of the things that happened in this ep in this series and things that have been said with things that are established later on. 
you know, the most obvious being, you know, Ben and Leia. Um, you know, I find it hard to believe that if he's been able to stay successfully hidden for a decade and then he's going to now suddenly just pop out, you don't think Vader's going to figure out Tatooine over the course of the next 10 years if he keeps showing himself? I feel like, you know, I feel like it's like, you know, it's like Kaiser Soze in the, in the usual suspect. You know, you really think the devil pops his head out, you know, and then gives you another chance to catch him? Like, you know, and like, like that, that. He's gone. He's gone. I, 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 I love what you're describing, Mark, but I struggle with how, how they can continue to reconcile that as opposed to he's reinvigorated and at the end of this, he comes out recognizing that, you know, no, I need to be fully committed to making sure that Luke and Leia are ready to be able to take on the Empire. I don't know the answer. I, I I'm I'm more with Mike. If you obviously, if you're going to give it to me, I will consume it and I will break it down here on Babu's freaking podcast. But I don't think it's something I necessarily want. So if it's done right, like Mike said, I think it it can be done, but it. It's that's everything. It has to be done the right way. But I still don't know. I still don't know. Obviously, these last two are going to make the difference. I'm 50 50 on the show right now. If it's been done, quote unquote, right. I really don't know yet. I haven't even made that decision yet. So we'll see where we're at in two more episodes. Well, to the greater point, too, I think a lot of us fans thought that the show was going to go in a very different place than than what it has. We I don't think any of us foresaw that this was going to be him. Uh, trying to save and protect Leia. I think they, I think they very much sold this as him trying to keep Luke's identity secret and trying to stay out of the, the grasp and the reaches of the inquisitors. And like, he's been playing into their hand almost the entire time in this series. I mean, he's been on the radar since episode two and, um, you know, not, not to clap back at the fans, but I think there's been a lot of dissatisfaction with, uh, some fans as to where the story went versus what they wanted and expected. Um, like we don't get to write star Wars, you know, no, like, no, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, no, no, no. I know that I'm not saying that, but like, we don't get to write star Wars. I don't get, I get, you know, I don't get paid to do any of this and and I consume it. Uh, I, I gave up, I gave up being a critic with a lot of this stuff a, a while ago and just started to enjoy it. Like, I think I I think I hung my spurs up. Michael probably tell you this. I think I hung my spurs up with the Last Jedi, and I've spent a great part of the last five years trying to come around on that and atone for my sins and being a part of that toxic fandom. Because I I think that at some point I did join them full force. Like I went to the dark side and thought for a hot minute that I could write or pen the Star Wars universe better than guys like Ryan Johnson were. You know guys that were that were doing this for a living and were actually getting paid by Lucasfilm to do it. And the thing is, is like, I've given up on that and I very much try to find a way to make whatever that canon is work and try to find, you know, a, a silver lining to it, even if it, it doesn't go with me. So for me to come out and say, you know, that I, I would never, uh, I would never be in on another Obi-Wan Kenobi installment, um, it's probably at this point and where I am with, with my love of Star Wars, it's just wholly untrue. If Deborah Chow and Ewan McGregor can find a, a writer, a screenwriter, to find some nuanced story that works within the canon and the existing structure of episode four, gets me to somewhere where he's fighting with Maul in the desert and gives me some other story that old Ben can stay off the radar. Like, yes, like, let's do this. I just love it. I love you and McGregor so much in this role. I think I will be sad, depressed if this, these are the last two moments that I have to spend with him. And if I'm being honest, I think I selfishly want more if only for that reason. I don't know if I can say goodbye. It's like Mike said, ice cream. <laughs> I've gone how long without ice cream and now I got ice cream again and I don't want to go without ice cream anymore. I, I even wonder, you know, kind of, Put, putting on uh, putting on the fanfic hat for a section for, for for a second here, you know, we've talked about the path and you know all of the stories that can be told there, and the fact that you know Obi Wan has been disengaged. What if Obi Wan was like Charlie and Charlie's Angels? 
Like what if what if somehow he ends up being the guide that it's like, look, we think yeah. we found yes. this Jedi or we have this issue, Obi-Wan, what do we do? Like it doesn't have to be about Obi-Wan for Obi-Wan to be involved. He can he can be like, you know, he can be like the he can be like the 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 voice coming out of the box in Charlie's Angels, or he can be the the voice in the tape that's about to self-destruct in Mission Impossible. And you know, every episode can start off with, hello there. And he can drive you into you you know this this is where you're going this week and this is what you need to do. Well, he could be Captain America on the moon for all I care. The thing the path brings up a very interesting narrative and a very interesting arc that we can continue to explore. For so long we've thought that the Jedi were extinguished when now we know that that is not the, the case at all that they're just scattered throughout the galaxy that they're laying low that what we thought originally that what that it was a singular line, you wow. know, their light, their light is all but is extinguished from the universe from Tarkin. No, that that in fact was not true. There was the light. It just they weren't they weren't shining it so that anyone else well, could see it. No, I I don't know. I don't know, Mark. I mean, there's there's still 10 years. There is there's an additional 10 years that Darth Vader and the Inquisitors are out there. Well, even killing people, even so there may better. be force sensitive yeah. folks that are out there and hiding, but you know, when Yoda says, you know, in Return of the Jedi, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi will you be like, there's still 10 years. I mean, that's another interesting way to go with it. If, if there was going to be another carrying on is you could either make a series that's kind of like the fugitive or like, Yoda's or like the Hulk where, you know, you spend, you know, it's the constant cat and mouse with Vader and Obi-Wan, or, you know, it would also be, you know, kind of an, a kind of an interesting narrative if the whole thing was obi-wan in the path continually trying to keep these keep people away from the inquisitors that's that you know that that could be an entire series as well yeah but even yoda's logic was inherently flawed because now we know to be true is that ahsoka was still alive like she's not a jedi she's not but from a certain from a certain point of view so to me now knowing what i know like guys this is great this is what i love about this show (laughs) now Knowing what we know, what Yoda, I think, is saying are people that are practitioners of whatever that that strict code of conduct was. There are there are Jedi out there. There really are. There's force users and there's very powerful ones. But like the concept of the last Jedi, I, I think we could have an entire episode just breaking down how misleading that titling is. Because there's so many people within the universe that are force sensitive and dare I would say are very powerful force users, ones that can probably rival the Sith or the Inquisitors, but they're just, they're not practitioners and they're not a part of this grand political scheme that's going on and they just don't want to be involved in the conflict. Like, Masuka could have asserted herself, she just didn't. Yeah, but but that's the point. Yeah, they're not not engaged to be Jedi Knights. Grogu buries his training deep. Mm-hmm. And is nothing but a cooing child for however many years that is. Ahsoka is off who knows where looking for Ezra, who is also, you know, has the potential to be a Jedi and is not engaged. So I I, I really think that there's a whole lot more wiping out that happens over the course of the next decade. I, th- I think that, you know, for, for as much as there's been a reign of terror from the Inquisitors over the decade getting up to Obi-Wan, that there's there's a whole lot more atrocity that ha- there's a whole other decade where they're just going to, and where the empire really gets even worse. I mean, right now we're just starting to see, you know, they're debating and we're going to see it in Andor. They're like debating is the empire good? Is the empire bad? 10 years from now, we know the empire is bloody awful. And then they, to your point from earlier, they dissolve the Senate and it's a total autocracy. And then they blow up Alderaan as the, the cherry on top. I mean, yeah, after they've destroyed Jeddah, after yeah. after after they've totally stripped every planet of its resources, you know, there there's there's a lot there's a lot of bad stuff set to go down over the next decade. Well, maybe it's not an Obi-Wan narrative that we get. Maybe there is a degree of truth to this rumor that we're getting more Obi-Wan, but perhaps Reva is going to be a part of. I mean, Brian would probably be here for this. Like we talk about the Charles Soul novels constantly and how much of the Charles soul novels revolve around Darth Vader hunting down and destroying various Jedi and getting into duels. And 
I would be there for that. Like, hey, you want to bring back Hayden Christensen and you want to bring back Revo or you want to there's a lot of there's a lot of history that's still there in this next 10 to 15 years before we pick up with the new hope that I would be happy to visit. And I, I I think that this is this is perhaps one of the most compelling time periods in all of the Skywalker saga. Like this is this is a really comparing compelling time period if only because of how powerful and evil Vader is in this time period, great well, villains, uh, great villains are, are fun to watch. I, 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 I don't think Reva survives. I'm sorry, Brian. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, I don't, I don't think Reva makes it out. And I think we need to, uh, before we get through this, we have to talk about that scene as well. I mean, Vader storms down the hallway, lifts her in the air, starts force choking her. And she, you know, she uses a Vader trick. You know, she's she's planted a you know she's planted a homing beacon with Leia by reprogramming Lola. Um, if if Obi Wan doesn't kill her by the end of the season, Vader's going to kill her. And if Vader doesn't kill her, my money is still on the Grand Inquisitor coming back, and he's going to kill her. I I cannot imagine she's going to survive past Episode Six. Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, Mark, you talk about how this is the the prime spot for storytelling. I'm I'm the opposite. I want to explore post Return of the Jedi Mandalorian time frame more than I do between three and four personally. But anyway, um, yeah, like I was telling you before we went on, Mark or Mike, that I had I had some challenges with with this episode of there's nothing that we had never seen before. And I said, Reva might as well just simply told Vader that she's got him tied to the end of a string because that's exactly what happened it was general hux telling snoke that they've got the ability to track them through light speed she's got the ability to track leia and and obi-wan through through lola and i just i don't know like it just i think eventually obi-wan's gonna have to go to this cave and have that rocky moment with qui-gon but he's gonna be being tracked the entire time which is gonna be the entire thing looming over the entire episode brian question for you at this point in time they're on a starship why the heck wouldn't he just fly back to Ulran and drop her off with the droid? That wouldn't, it just makes so much more sense. Like where else would you go at this point? It's a good question. I, I really, I, I really don't know. And that's why I, I'm saying the jury is, I have already given up hope that this is going to surpass the Mandalorian for me, but that is the highest of high bars. I don't think that this show can attain that. I do. I still think I'm enjoying this show a bit more than I did, except for maybe two episodes of the book of Boba Fett. But for me, I had such high expectations for the show. And part of that is completely my fault. I'll fully admit that they did go in a, in a way that I didn't think they were going to go. I'm not naive enough or, or stupid enough to think I could have done better. I'm not at, at all saying that I actually really like the entire princess Leia swerve. But that being said, there's just so much, logic that escapes some of this stuff and that was part of the reason why i didn't like anything robert rodriguez did in the book of boba fett because sometimes logic just went out the window there's been a few things like you just talked about at some point we got to get this 10 year old out of danger taking her back to alderaan probably does put her back into danger because then everybody would know where she is so that's the that's the argument against it but there's sometimes logic is just again trying to escape by having just a big giant green trench coat with four legs out the bottom of it just made no sense to me. So sometimes I'm willing to make that logic leap and and sometimes I'm not, I'm very uh, not consistent when it comes to that. And I'll fully admit yeah. that, but interrogating a 10 year old girl who has no connection to any of this stuff also didn't make any sense to me. Well, that scene was an interesting one. Yeah. That yeah. They're trying to make that connection to the original trilogy that Leia's always been this strong. And that just didn't that just didn't work for me. That's the connection they were shooting for, and it just didn't land with me. It's a stretch. So, it so is. Here, it is. Here's the but. thing, Le Leo is. So here's my here's my problem, and here's where I'm going to jump on your your bandwagon and jump on your boat. Leia for the for the for the this entire narrative, the purpose of Leia was to draw out Obi Wan, and to that end, like that that has been her only purpose. Now this is like this is a huge stretch for me. She's not connected to anything. Like she's a ten year old kid who was kidnapped to just bring Obi-Wan out from the shadows. There's no purpose for her anymore. Like having her involved after she's been rescued, 
there is no reason to have her be a part of a major part of episodes five or six. She should just get dropped off. I know that's not what's going to happen, but if she had at least given up the the path, if this is where she had learned how to be more resilient against their tactics, like I honestly would have been cool with it. But the fact that this 10 year old can still withstand the probe droid and everything else, I, well, I would have been more, more learning. Well, I don't know. It's well, the, the droid didn't get her. You know, they got, they, the, um, yeah, they were, they they were, they were, they were disrupted. Just stops everything she was doing. Yeah, that was, yeah. Okay. That, and that's fair. She never got to the droid. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. So to take it home, where, where are we going these last two episodes? I, I, cause I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I mean, I would Alderaan? love if Leia got dropped off on Alderaan and then there was a, there was a whole other arc that had to happen where he gets called, you know, he basically gets called out and it's, you know, he's got to face Darth Vader. Like there's, there's something where he's got to go back in and engage with them as opposed to, what, what are they going to kidnap Leia again? I, I don't they, know. They're going to find the, pan, the, the path planet and I, take her again. So he has to go back for her a second time. Like I, I, on the one I, hand, I'm excited of not knowing where it's going. And on the other hand, I'm like, huh? if I were, if I were writing it after I just said about five minutes ago, how I'm not going to try to write Star Wars. Now I'm going to try to write Star Wars. If I were writing it, he would drop her off at home and she would gift him this droid as like, thank you for all that you've done. And then he would take the droid back with him to wherever. And then they would, they would find him just him. But I know that's not what they're going to do, but so that it didn't seem completely like weird. And, and like, he should not have her, her his entire mandate. His mission was get the girl, save the girl, bring her home. He has her. Why wouldn't he bring her home at this point? Anything else to me, I'm going to I'm going to moan and groan a little bit if he doesn't take her right away to home. So if I wrote it, he would drop her off at Alderaan. She would love him and gift him this droid as a, as something that was important to her. He would give to her to let or she would give to him to say, this is how much you mean to me. And then he would keep it and they would find him. And then the last two episodes would resolve. They're not going to do that. I I honestly like I have no clue at this point. We have two episodes we have essentially what an hour and a half to wrap to wrap this. I have no clue where they're going to do. All that being said, all the negative talk that I've had tonight, I didn't care for O'Shea Jackson Jr. I didn't care for Sully. I didn't care for Wade. I really like Tala. I think she's really interesting. I would love to continue more with that character if she could pop up in Andor or wherever. I think Tala is a really interesting character. Um, I, I'm with you, Mike. I think Reva is going to meet the end, and I hope it's at the hands of Vader. Um, it very well could be at the hands of Obi-Wan, but I don't see him murdering somebody, for lack of a better term, being the way he gets his groove back for the next 10 years and, and falling back into the Jedi ways. I I want to oh. see Vader. We ha I mean, we haven't warranted the return of Hayden Christensen yet, and I think over the next two episodes, we will, we will earn Hayden Christensen coming back into this role. Farm and I, 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 I'm leaning more toward we're gonna get something out of this show, a spinoff of some sort that he's involved in. There's got to be a surprise of some sort in the last there two. Has to be because there has right to now, be. right now, it hasn't been warranted. We've seen Hayden Christensen precisely three times: twice in the back to tank, and then one time in Obi Wan's subconscious, basically standing <laughs> just on the on the pasture there. So we haven't earned that yet. So I do expect some really good Darth Vader stuff to be coming. Um, I do still expect to see that Rocky moment with Qui-Gon Jinn. Beyond that, I, I genuinely don't know where where it's headed. If that's going to happen, it's got to happen soon. Because... It has to. It, well, I mean, if, if it's like anything else that has happened in a majority of Disney Plus series, Marvel especially, we're headed to the penultimate episode this week, which is going to be the biggest one, the best one with all the most stuff in it and then setting it up to wrap the final, the final week. So I think we need to earn Hayden Christensen returning to the role. We need to pay off the whole mumbling under his breath, talking to Qui-Gon Jinn. Those are the two things that have to happen for me to change my tune. So, so to speak, Brian, I so wish that we had more time to, to discuss this, but what has to happen in order to, to make the line make sense when last I left, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. What has to happen to make that line make sense? Because it it doesn't make sense right now. 
Obi-Wan has to own the crap out of Darth Vader, which at this point we we haven't seen it. So he has to do something that Vader cannot anticipate, cannot expect. We also need help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. We need something like that to be able to make sense as well. The problem with this story is because you're trying so hard to attach it to the original trilogy, you're actually removing it further from the original trilogy with the more stuff that you do. So I need that to be treated. Not that I don't think they're treating the canon with the utmost respect. Who am I to tell Lucasfilm what their canon is? But there are things that I need them to connect the dots on for me to be happy. And first, last time we met, I was the learner. Now uh, I'm the master. I know I didn't quote that exactly right. Yep, but yep. we need to see Obi-Wan own Darth Vader. And... And we As have two episodes. Constituted, we're not gonna we're not gonna see it quite the same way. And we have two episodes to do it. That that's my yeah. concern. We have two episodes to do. It. I I think if the episodes can be long enough, we're gonna get there. I, I they they have to. I mean, and they have no you know, choice. I, I think they have no choice. And I think you said it earlier, Mark. Like, I think we we need to see. We got one twirl of the lightsaber this episode. Like Obi's got to get back to full twirling. He's got to point his two fingers at the camera the way that he does in in episode three and the way that he does when he fights Maul in uh, Rebels. He's we 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 got to get him back. And in a to that end, way. to end to that end again, I'm I'm not being toxic and saying I've loved Leia. I've loved the fact that they injected her. But if you waste any more screen time on that narrative then you are going to have to take that time from exactly the story arc that we've all just talked about in the last five minutes. If there's any more oxygen spent on Leia and getting her back to Alderaan, we are going to be sacrificing from what I think a lot of the fans and the story needs, which is get me to where a new hope makes sense. Yeah. And I think just to put a bow on it, I think there's going to have to be another interaction at the, the Lars homestead. I, I don't I don't think we've seen the last of Owen and Baru. Yeah. Um, I don't think that we've seen the last of Obi Wan trying to reach out to Luke. Um, remember the the toy speeder was returned to him. I think that's gonna that's gonna have to pay off. So, um, I'm uh, I'm excited for Wednesday, guys. So, gentlemen, to go full circle and to to go back to where we began, we're gonna need two miracles. You're gonna have to fly over, invert, fire. Hit the shaft, exposing it, and then a second missile to penetrate and bust that bunker over in the Ukraine. We we need someone to fly this mission. Ukraine, isn't it in Ukraine? No, it was it's kind of implied a, that it was probably I mean, like a Red Star country. Oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I had I had Ukraine on the brain. I, I the dangers of doing things live. Uh, on that note. If you like what you heard, craziness and all, remember, hit that like button. Smash that like button, as the kids say. Hit the bell. Um, and make sure you come back again next week at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, as we discuss the penultimate episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and uh, until then, we will leave you as we always do. Uh, by wishing you that may the force be with you. Always. Always.